1: The final episode of The Elephant in the Bedroom contains strong language, adult themes, and sexual references. So strap in one last time. So do you think that, like, hypothetically, me breaking up with you would be doing some good for the world?
2: Hypothetically, doing good for the world? Oof. There's no way I can answer that. It's such a hard question because, like, eating less meat, yes, good idea, right? Having one kid instead of three, yes, good idea for the world really easy to see the flow-on effects of those. This one's way more complicated.
3: What if I was me, but I was a different color, skin color?
4: I think I'd st- still be with you, but I guess the heartbreaking thing is that I initial thing, yeah, that the initial like spark might not have been there, that initial attraction.
3: You wouldn't have chased me. Yeah, because I'm,
4: I'm still like, grappling with the idea that the reason that I was drawn to you in the first place was like, mm-hmm your whiteness. It's hard because, you know, obviously, I can't prove that I'm changing or I like trying to be more broad and not just go for one type of person because I'm with you. I'm monogamous. I just kind of, I don't, there's no way to prove that.
3: Mm. Do you want to break up with me and find out? (laughs)
4: Kia ora, I'm James Roque.
1: And I'm Chai Ling
4: And we're two Asian millennial creatives who happen to be best friends.
1: And we've noticed that we share a trend in our dating lives. That's
4: right, we've only ever dated white white people. People. And we're here to find out why. For RNZ... This is The Elephant in the Bedroom. A show undressing sex, love and race. Kia ora, welcome to the last episode, you made it.
1: Okay, so to briefly recap where we are... So far, we've been down all sorts of paths trying to understand why we have our types.
4: And we have no lack of theories. Uh, Proximity, meaning simply who you're around, environment, representation, sudden and unexplainable hits of dopamine. But there is one indisputable truth that's been looming over us since the very start of our exploration. Uh, And it's that we live in a system that puts white people at the top.
1: Which has now left us grappling with this. How much personal responsibility do we have as individuals within that system?
4: And does that personal responsibility look like the elephant in the bedroom? Which is, do we break up with our white partners in order to change a system that might have led us to date them solely because they were white in the first place?
1: Yeah, but... Okay, I've actually been thinking about this. So breaking up with our partners doesn't mean breaking up with our bias, right? I mean, theoretically, wouldn't we just keep getting with other white people?
4: Okay, so then let's investigate. Is it even possible to change one's racial preference when it comes to dating?
1: Well, don't ask me.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't ask me either. You you made it seem like you might know, so I asked you.
1: Well, lucky we're friends with a bunch of experts now. Can you change who you're attracted to?
0: I'm not saying that you can't learn, you know, certain aspects of what you find attractive. And certainly, our culture sends us signals about who we should find attractive. But no, I, I don't. I don't think it's likely that you're going to be able to make a wholesale change in terms of whether you find that person attractive or not when you when you first see them. No.
1: You might remember Dr. Mark Breedlove with the best name ever from episode two. We spoke to him about whether or not there was a scientific case for changing your type.
0: I I think the best you can hope for is that someone can be aware of whatever preferences they have and can be open to the possibility of giving someone of the non preferred ethnicity a chance. Is it problematic that people's sexual attraction includes ethnicity? Uh, Of course it's problematic. Can I say whether it should happen or not? I, you know, I, there's no scientific answer to that. And uh, all I can tell you is it it happens. Being aware of the tendency, that's the only way you can combat it, right? That's the only way to make any progress at it.
4: We also reached out to social psychologist Dr. Michael Ty from that same episode to see what he had to say on this.
5: I don't think there is any actual data where people have tried to change the romantical sexual preferences of... Um, Of
6: people
5: yet. If dating bias is the same or similar to any other sort of bias or prejudice, then I think it would be possible to change your dating bias. It would certainly be incredibly difficult and uh, it may take a very long time to do so. I mean, you know, you're actively trying to dismantle a schema that you've built up over quite a number of years. Um, But I think you could certainly do it. Um, You know, but once you've passed that, I think it's all about exposing yourself to different exemplars of beauty, right? You know, getting out there and meeting new people who you wouldn't usually meet, right? Taking notice of and uh, appreciating uh, the beauty of people you see in the media who you wouldn't usually take notice of, right? But yeah, I think it's possible.
1: Okay, so this reminds me of a TED talk by Verna Myers, who is the vice president of the diversity strategy at Netflix. So she did one on changing your internal bias, which I dig a lot.
4: Right, how was she there?
1: So her talk is called How to Overcome Our Biases, Walk Boldly Towards Them, which you should definitely listen to, and it's about changing bias towards black men in particular. There's an online test called the Implicit Bias Test and five million people have done it. The results have made it clear that when we're shown images of white people, we're quickly able to associate a positive feeling towards those images. But when we see a picture of a black person, it's more likely that we'll connect negative words to that image.
4: So this is an automatic response?
1: Yes, we do this without thinking, which is why it's hard for people to hear.
4: How do we go about changing it?
1: So Verna says that scientists have debunked the idea of aiming for color blindness. She says, instead, stare at awesome black people. By doing this, you're breaking your automatic negative association. You're rewiring your brain to associate black people with positive role models, attractive actors, scientists, authors, by flooding your brain with these images.
4: I think this would make sense that this would also apply to who you're attracted to.
1: I actually tried a version of this with Instagram. Really? Well, because she talks about associating with imagery, right? Mm. I went and followed a bunch of hot Asian men on Instagram. And did it work? Actually, yes. Like genuinely, I started noticing Asian men more. Is
4: that why you've noticed me recently?
1: Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't Uh, escape you. That's uh. another problem. (laughs) But I never thought I had a huge bias. Mm. But then I was like, it felt like I was like seeing them for the first time. Like the first person at a party that would catch my eye was no longer tall white men. Okay, so some people will be listening to this going, all right, so you're saying that to change your type, you have to expose yourself to different people. Yep. And some people might say, are you saying that you believe in conversion therapy for gay people?
4: And we would say no, because those aren't the same.
1: So if you didn't know, conversion therapy is a very debunked practice of trying to change an individual's sexual orientation from queer to straight using psychological, physical or other interventions, which has proven really harmful effects on the people that are subjected to it.
4: Yeah, and we just want to get it clear right now, we do not condone that. In fact, we are actively against it.
1: So racial preference and sexual orientation are not the same. One is influenced by social constructs and one is based in biology.
4: And we don't really have time to do this really important conversation justice. So we highly recommend Dr. Mark Breedlove's TED Talk called Prenatal Influences on Sexual Orientation. It's about 10 minutes long. It's real good. So following more people of color on social media is one thing, but how would something like this work out in the real world?
1: In terms of dating? Yeah. Okay, so do you remember Nathan, who we heard in the last episode? He had his own experience with that in the real world. Hmm. Once you realise you have a bias, can, can you, you change, change it?
6: it? Yeah, I think you can, honestly, you can get dicked down good by someone that, that maybe you didn't normally find attractive. And then that experience can kind of shape you, I think.
1: Are you speaking from experience? Yeah,
6: I think the first Asian guy who fucked me really good. Like that made me more attractive to Asian guys from then onwards. Yeah. Like it, because that's like a um, positive experiences, right? Yeah. In the same way you have really a traumatic experience with someone, that will mm. that can ruin it for you. So yeah. you can, absolutely.
1: Yeah. May we all be as blessed as Nathan Joe and his love life.
4: <laughs> Yo, shout out to Nathan Joe's love life, man. Keep yes. doing you, baby. But I mean this makes absolute sense right Even on like a base level Or like of course if you associate something with a positive experience Then eventually with enough of those positive experiences You can unlearn any preconceptions you might have about that thing Yeah right? yeah.
1: Oh I have a really good example Okay so you know how like Eugene Yeah Is like a real nerdy name Like yeah. I don't know like there's like All the Eugenes that I saw on TV growing up Were like Eugene <laughs> You know like it was like, I couldn't unhear the way that name sounded Like Eugene. it just sounded like a massive nerd Yeah then I once, I met a hot Eugene.
4: And he wasn't Eugene, he was Eugene.
1: Oh, fuck. Yeah, he was <laughs> Eugene. And then I was like, I'm turned. And now whenever <gasps> I meet a Eugene, I'm like, hot. Oh my God.
5: There's this huge effect uh, in the psychology literature, which is called the intergroup contact effect. <laughs> The theory behind it just proposes that you know the more contact we have with outgroup group members, whether it's you know racial outgroup members or sexual minority outgroup members, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the less prejudice we become towards those outgroups.
4: The bulk of Dr. Michael Ty's work actually examines what factors promote positivity or negativity between societal groups, specifically in in-groups and out-groups. So, an in-group being a social group you identify with, and an out-group being people you don't.
5: The more Positive contact you have with a racial outgroup member, the greater your general warmth towards the outgroup. It reduces your intergroup anxiety, right? The anxiety you have when interacting with someone from another group. It increases empathy, it increases trust, and all of these flow on to attraction.
1: Well, that makes sense. Mm. So I guess the same goes for dating more people that are outside your groups. So we should just go find some more non white people to date?
4: Hold up. Is it morally okay to do that? Like, if you're going out of your way to consciously date people, specifically because they're from a certain ethnicity, is that okay? Like, if you're on Tinder and you're consciously only swiping yes for the people of colour because you're trying to break your bias, don't you, like, run the risk of going into fetish territory?
1: I think it's about respect and intention. Like, it shouldn't be about pretending to be attracted to someone when you're not. Or, like... Being out to get another notch on the bedpost To show you're a better person It should be about being open to the possibility In the first place And then seeing if you have an organic attraction from there
4: I mean, I guess so But it doesn't really change the fact That you originally selected them Specifically for their ethnicity
1: I remember one time um, I went on this date with a Samoan Chinese girl And she told me halfway through That she'd never dated another Asian person before
4: Ooh. And I was
1: like <laughs> Okay, cool, good for you and, you know, she was a person of color too, so I kind of let it slide. But then later on when we were making out in the car, she sort of like stopped for a second and pulled back. And I was like, Are you good? And she was like, oh, no, it's just that that was the first time I've ever kissed her. Uh, n- never mind. And I was like, no. Ah, yes. That's what I
4: call microaggressions, volume 20.
1: Yeah, I felt like I would be the Asian person in their story that they'd go tell their friends about, oh, the first time I had my first Asian, you know, like not an actual human person
4: yeah see, you don't want to be that person, do you like that makes someone feel like that?
1: Yeah, exactly. yeah. okay, so you actually have a joke about being what you call a gateway Asian?
4: I've noticed a lot of trends in my dating life right Here's a trend that I've noticed. Um, that whenever I date a white girl, especially if I date a white girl who's never dated an Asian dude before,
2: right after they date me, She then starts to find other Asian dudes attractive. (laughs) Basically what I'm trying to say is I'm a gateway Asian dude.
1: (laughs) Like I'm the marijuana of interracial dating. How do you feel about that in this context?
4: Well, look, if I can be someone who helps you realize that there are other people out there in the world for you, uh, I actually don't mind that. I don't mind being that person.
1: I don't know what the right answer is, but It's tricky because you're bound to date someone different eventually, right? There have been brown people and blonde people and, you know, like dentists and accountants where I've thought to myself, I've never dated someone like you. And I think it's okay to notice and not to be colorblind because saying you know, I don't see race is also problematic in its own way.
4: Yeah. And it doesn't have to mean that you're like fetishizing that accountant and like asking them to, I don't know, balance books in the bedroom, (laughs) (laughs) asking for accountant play.
1: That's hot. Um, But yeah, the alternative to dating people who are different to you is kind of a recipe for only being with someone who's just like you, right?
6: Well, I feel like, you know, you should always just try and Try new things. Why shouldn't you try new things? I don't think you should feel guilty Mm. about it, but if you do feel guilty about it, I also don't care.
4: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's less guilt because you're kind of using people for their ethnicity for your own journey. Well, you're using people
6: for your education. Exactly. But you know what? That's what people do, you know? Mm. Like everyone in our life is some kind of guinea pig in our fucking solipsistic learning experience.
4: I've not thought about it that
6: way. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm very black pill, but you know. (laughs)
1: Okay, if you haven't heard her on episode two, Dr. Ziming Mok is hands down cooler than any of us will ever be.
4: Yeah, 100%. And as while well, she kind of has a point, we're just meat sacks trying to learn from each other at the end of the day.
1: Okay, don't ever <laughs> call me a meat sack <laughs> ever again.
4: And I guess the whole point of it is that to avoid fetishizing... It's making it less about aggressively going for a certain type of person and making it more about, you know, being open to being pleasantly surprised. An Indian girl. She didn't fit the box that I'm normally used to. So this is Marwan from episode one. He's a Filipino friend of mine who usually has a similar type to me.
2: And then when I started getting to, mm. to like her intelligence... I was really attracted to and i became real curious about it and then all of a sudden i started to see her green eyes the way that she held herself and the clothes that she was wearing and just questions that she was asking me you know and i was like what the fuck? we had been together like an hour i just hadn't noticed it yeah. until we actually got this one-on-one time on the couch that was outside of the box for me i just needed a pool of like something that i admired and all of a mm. sudden things started to like domino effect yeah
1: So most of the people we've talked to so far have been people of colour who have had similar types as us, but I'm about to interview a really cool friend of mine. She's a queer Chinese poet called Angela who came from the opposite perspective. So according to her, when she signed up to OKCupid, one of the questions was, do you have a racial preference? And she had a specific response.
3: And that's when I first started thinking about it. I was like, do I? preference you know what, I'd rather not date white people I was like, is this bad? And then I talked to some people. There's somebody who I, I dated it was like quite anti white people as well, like I think mm. she just was so over it um, she's in a lot of entrepreneurial spaces where white guys speak over her a lot. When you're a person of colour and you're like, actually I don't want to be around white people, I kind of want to hang out with people of colour, that's because you're looking for commonality and shared experience, it comes from mm. a completely different place. So
1: currently you're dating a white partner. Why did you swipe on them? Because if your
3: preference is against white people and towards Asian people. It's like a preference, but I'm not gonna let that like dictate my dating life. It's not a hard rule. I'm like, I would prefer to be dating like people of color, mm. but you know, I'll give white people a go. Yeah, and we just got along really well. So here we are two years later.
4: Okay, so do you remember David? He's another Filipino brother of mine who I've been speaking to throughout this whole thing. He'd always had the same type as me, but for the last couple of years, he's actually been dating a Chinese woman. And so I asked him about how that's changed his
2: perspective on all of this. It's definitely made an impact. I think the one thing that I'm really stoked with broadening my horizons is that I've found someone that I can actually share a lot of um, similarities with. I mean, food's like a really big thing. I can cook food from my culture and she loves it. I can have fish sauce cooking on hot oil. We once had a flat, um, flat viewing and someone came in, you could tell that they weren't used to the smell of cooking fish sauce and it just freaked them the fuck out. So <laughs> I've never had that problem with my current partner, which has been really amazing. When I was a teenager, I thought I was always gonna be like, chasing something else and having to like change myself you know find that find that person that I wanted to be with but actually it's like oh no I've actually found someone that embraces me for for being me
1: Everyone can find that fish sauce love
4: <laughs> Yeah just get in there And just really dip Dip yourself into that love <laughs> <Yuck>. <laughs>
1: um, So talking about this uh, We thought of our producer Ruby Who yeah. has a similar experience so, Yeah uh, they,
4: Ruby's had their own journey on this yes, right? they
1: have So what was your type My type was Nerdy
7: Smart Musical Funny Weird Uh White people.
4: Oh, who, you, you really waited yeah, a little yeah. bit before sneaking that last bit in there.
7: And who are you dating now? I am with this bloody dream of a human, Alex, who is biracial Chinese pakia So yeah, I've been with Alex for almost a year and it has been a revelation. Can you speak to that? There's this shorthand that I know that other POC, we just get it. I don't have to explain why some things are just so painfully racist. But on the flip side of that, if I find something really fucking awesome about my culture, he can appreciate it. And I know that he gets the joy. Mm. And that's so cool too. I also know I'm the first person of color that he's been with as well. Our ethnicity is so important to us. It's, it's a big factor in our relationship. But at the same
1: time, it's not even a big deal. So how did you go from dating a string of white guys to Alex?
7: To be honest, I'd decided that I would only date brown people after we made our doco Asian Men Talk About Sex. Making that was kind of like... It was like this Disney moment where suddenly (laughs) I went outside and they were like... Birds and the trees <laughs> were singing at me, and I could see all these beautiful colors.
4: You're like Amy Adams in Enchanted. She's yeah. like, ha, 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 and all the birds like land on her finger. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but all the birds in the scenario are, like hop. Men of color, oh, yeah. <laughs> men and people of color Just
4: flying in and landing on your arm. Hello,
7: truly amazing.
4: So it was uh, like a conscious decision for you. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That was a really nice warming up of our cold <laughs> <laughs> clinical hearts.
4: <laughs> totally. And we're not saying that these people are better for having dated outside of their type. We're just saying that broadening your horizon could end in being pleasantly surprised.
1: Right. People were surprised because their binaries were challenged, which is always a good thing, right?
4: Yeah, because there's so much that goes into making an individual. You know, you've got ethnicity, culture, inherent nature, personality, and those things combine in a variety of ways to make you you. And, you know, while those things can be tied to each other, you can't just assume what overlaps with what.
1: Yeah, like, just because I can't eat spicy food doesn't mean I'm any less Asian.
4: So, if we continue to do personal work to see people as individuals, it's good not only for our dating lives, but for the world.
1: So, reflecting on all the people we've spoken to, everyone's individual experiences and perspectives have been so eye-opening and so varied
4: and we've still got a lot to process.
3: If you've developed a human connection with another person, then I think that's beautiful. But at the same time, if somebody said, look, I made this wonderful human connection with this white person, and by the way, I've only ever dated white people before and don't find all of these other people attractive,
6: I would say that's the problem. It's my life, and that's the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with.
1: If we get along, if we click, then that's it. You know, like, just keep it simple.
6: I think the great aim of, you know, the progressive liberal dream is that you understand all the flaws and complexities of humanity. You can't always be the perfect eco-warrior. You can't always be the perfect Asian advocate Mm. and the worst thing you can do is make yourself
0: ill trying to be the perfect ideal cultural warrior. I think the people who probably do best at not perpetuating racist ideas are those who can admit to themselves that they've been exposed to it and try to, um, even if it's a matter of being a little more open to having a relationship with uh, someone of an ethnicity that isn't uh, favored in your culture. But I think all people who are concerned about these issues, uh, we're all gonna be wrestling with it forever. If you're letting other people Judge your relationship.
2: That's a tough rock to carry on your back, bro. And I think it's about just letting go of that. If you're happy, you're happy, and that's great.
1: If you do end up falling in love with somebody who happens to be white, then it's sort of... You can't really break up with them because you love them. <laughs> it's, it's kind of an odd choice to then be like, no, I'm going to be unhappy now, and like break up with them for no reason other
6: than I feel bad about choosing a white person. I think you know you, you, you've got some good insights into what what these motivating factors are, right? Mm. And it's good to explore them. Um, but you can't correct it. Mm. You can't. The, you can't correct the big issue. The big mm. issue is the, the institutions and the structure of white supremacy. Yeah. It's the racialization of poverty. It's you know ethnic self segregation. Mm. It's whole communities that are trying to ally themselves with um, white privilege uh, to the exclusion of other ethnic groups. That's where the struggle is. You shouldn't feel guilty about your life unless you're already causing harm to someone. Mm. If it's the guilt that motivates you to do it, good. Mm. Um, I don't think it needs to eat you up.
4: It's hard to know what to say at the end of a journey like this. We didn't get the simple answer we expected or needed. So, what do we take from everything we've learned?
1: And most importantly, where does that leave us with the elephant in the bedroom? Our relationships.
4: Hmm. You go first.
1: Okay, so... We have reached the end of the podcast. Finally. I've made a decision.
4: <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Oh, God, okay. Okay.
1: When we started this project, I wanted to win, find out why we have a type, fix it, and be a better person on the other side. But it ended up being so, so much more complicated than I thought. The theory I had about type being genetically wired was my main concern and is still a question mark. But the elements that were out of my control only kept snowballing. What you didn't see off air is how James and Ruby and Kelly and I have sat around the table at our headquarters and literally cried at just how much racism and white supremacy is fed into every facet of our lives and the lives of people we love. Facing my own role in all of this was hard. My unconscious bias against darker-skinned people, the possibility that I might have unconsciously chosen to be with my white partners because of class or status, and the big one, that choosing white people over and over again Is a cog in the wheel of white supremacy. But I wasn't expecting to confront the guilt I uncovered about dating white people as an Asian advocate. I really hope those who I felt judgment from can understand how big this whole thing is and maybe even find their own peace with it. But to be honest, the biggest perpetrator of judgment was myself. So now there's the big question Do I break up with my white partner to flip the bird to white supremacy? And what happens then? Does winning look like overcoming racism by dating an Asian person? Or am I then being too exclusive to my own race? Or is the answer addressing my bias in dating a non-Asian person of color? What exactly do I, or the world, gain by any of these gestures? I've decided I'm not breaking up with you. Oh, that's
4: nice. Great. <laughs> well I'm pleased I'm glad that you've come to that um, conclusion
2: and uh, we can keep enjoying life and doing fun things and have some babies yuck (laughs) (laughs) what made you feel like you shouldn't break out with me
1: well a lot of reasons mainly because I love you love is important But having done this podcast, I'm now armed with a wider context of our relationship and all the factors at play. Like most things in my life, I'm living across multiple identities, in a body where two cultures coexist, the oppressor and the oppressed. In the same way, my values are pro-Asian, but that doesn't make me anti-white. I'm dating a white guy, and I'm still proudly Asian. Feels like a huge weight off to be able to say that with confidence. The bigger picture is continuing to admit bias, really seeing white supremacy, facing your fears and being kind to yourself and everyone else along the way. Because we have got a long way to go until the playing field is levelled. So, no, I won't be breaking up with Hayden. And in keeping with all the nuance and duality I've discovered, I'll also never stop investigating and fighting to dismantle the things that led to this question in the first place.
4: Going into this whole thing in the back of my mind, I thought maybe I'd have some sort of grand epiphany that would flip my life completely upside down. Or maybe the opposite. I'd realise that all these issues aren't really that big a deal. But instead, what I got was a series of little learnings that have massively changed how I view the world. I learned that I had biases around attraction that I wasn't aware of or ready to admit until now. I learned just how much we're at the mercy of the systems that we're born into and continue to live in, and how hard it is to actually swim against that. But most importantly, I've learned that there's so many complex reasons for why people are attracted to others. Yes, a lot of those are really insidious and challenging things to do with race, but there are plenty of other genuine reasons too. But because of my experiences as a Filipino man in the Western world, of having to tick the box labeled other when I'm filling out my ethnicity and forms, I've always been trained to see things through the lens of race. That's what I know how to do best. What do you think the way forward is for Chyling and I? Like I said you didn't ask to be dragged into this.
3: I don't think you need to break up with your partners mm-hmm. unless you really look back and think that you're still with me or Hayden because mm-hmm. of the color of our skin. Yeah. Like if you you just had an epiphany and you're like shit I've mm-hmm. been just I've been dating I've been really, like, narrow-minded and whatever. I need to step away from that.
6: Mm.
3: I would understand. Because I obviously Mm. don't want to make you feel bad and then you will also, like, start resenting me. Mm.
4: I turned 30 this year, and recently I had a bit of a crisis. I freaked out because I imagined a future where I was an old man alone watching The Chase on telly. Yep, it's still on. And I'm sitting at the dining room table alone, no partner or anyone to keep me company because I spent my whole life worrying about the politics of my relationships and I let it get in the way of me finding love. Now, this is the part where I wish I could say some convenient thing like, but I refuse to let that happen because I choose love. But the truth is, it's not that simple. The system of white supremacy is real. Sexual racism is real. I've decided I'm not breaking up with Esther because she's so much more than her ethnicity, like I am more than mine. And if for some reason this relationship ended, would I try to broaden my horizons? Definitely. But this relationship is special, and I'd be a complete idiot to throw that away. So I choose both. I choose to love the woman who continues to make me laugh and supports me through everything. But I also choose to keep fighting that white supremacist system, to keep challenging myself and acknowledging when I need to grow. And that growing doesn't have to mean I can't also choose my own happiness. And being with a white person doesn't invalidate that fight. In the end, it turns out that this podcast wasn't actually about whether or not I should break up with my white girlfriend. It's about understanding how I continue to be shaped by the world. It's about learning how to deal with each other with more empathy. It's an exercise in letting go of the things that I can't control and changing the things that I can. Did you ever think that you were in danger of me breaking up with you?
3: Oh, maybe like 5%. <laughs> so only a little bit.
4: Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to. I love you too much. No. I love
2: you too
4: <laughs> You can't say what a straight face I'm shy. Trying to understand why I have my type has internally been one of the most challenging things in my life. But now I have something that I need in order to move forward perspective. Hey, James. Yo.
1: Thanks for going on this journey with me, man.
4: Yeah, it was my pleasure. I can't think of anyone else that I'd rather do it with.
1: I can't think of anyone else who would do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
4: I'm proud of you. I'm
1: proud of you, too.
4: Oh, this is nice. Uh, Thank you to the listeners
1: Yeah, it's been quite a journey Thank you for being here with us
4: Yeah, and sticking with us through this whole thing
1: So Where to next? I don't
4: know Should we go to Spicy House? Yes
1: (laughs) I oh. need.
4: What's your go to so spicy house dish?
1: I get the cucumber.
4: Oh, no, then good. I get the
1: eggplant. No, the, um, I forget you're vegetarian. The so
4: these are all, I was like, where's the meat? I'm like, dumplings. I've the chili The chili chicken. chicken. The elephant in the bedroom was made for RNZ with funding from New Zealand on air.
1: The show was written and hosted by us, James Roque and Chiling Pong.
4: Our producers are Ruby at Wilson and Kelly Gilbride.
1: The show was executive produced by Notable Pictures, Julia Parnell, Brett Wilkie, Ewan Atkinson, and Proudly Asian Theatre. Post-production
4: by Matt and Ricky at Evoke Audio.
1: Nikita Toubrine did our theme song with music by Tom Dennison.
4: Special thanks to everyone who spoke to us for this episode.
1: Dr. Mark Reedlove, Dr. Michael Tai, Nathan, Dr. Ziming Ma, Marwin, Angela Z, David, Ruby, Dr. Angela Jones, Joyce, Janina, and Gisela, Chai Sien. Thank you to everyone we spoke to across the whole series and for additional research outside of this podcast. Thanks to the folks at RNZ, Megan Whelan, Tim Watkin and Tim Bunnell. The most extra special thanks to our partners, Hayden and Esther.
4: And thank you for listening.